Welcome to the PKN Podcast, where we give you the wrap on all things packaging. Welcome to the PKN Packaging News Podcast. My name is Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Lindy Hewson, Managing Editor and Publisher of PKN Packaging News and the host of this show. G'day, Lindy. I believe we've got a lot to unpack today. Yes, Grant, it's time for the April News Wrap. And today I'm joined by PKN's Associate Editor, Wayne Robinson, and we're going to be taking a closer look at the news making headlines in April on the PKN print and digital platforms. Thanks for joining me, Wayne. Good to be here. It's been another big month in packaging, Lindy, with plastics packaging recycling still in the spotlight. And the just-released review of the 2025 National Packaging Targets, a topic of debate and discussion. That's absolutely right, Wayne. Now, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, so I'm going to start with the hottest talking point this this week, which, as you rightly point out, is the APCO review of those national packaging targets. Really, it came as no surprise that the report revealed that we are not on track to meet the targets by the end of December 2025. And the biggest challenge is coming from that second target, which is to have 70% of plastic packaging recyclable or compostable in that time frame, so between now and December 25. So according to APCO, in 2020 and 2021, that's the reporting time frame that they've used for these for the data that they've put into this report. The recovery rate for plastic packaging was 18%. Now, based on current funded and underutilized reprocessing capacity, plastic recovery could reach 46% by 2025. So that really does miss the mark quite significantly off the 70%. So we spoke to Chris Foley, the APCO CEO, on this podcast um, just to coincide with the review's release. And there's a lot of ground that we covered there as well. He said that there have been some fantastic contributions from many businesses, and we've spoken about them before, Circular Plastics, uh, Australia PET for one thing, um, and other businesses working in recycling. So it is disappointing that the headline data indicates targets that will not um, all be met. But he does say that businesses should keep up the momentum. The overall goal of the targets will remain. So even though the targets haven't been met in some cases, particularly that second one, and it's some way off, uh, there's going to be no resetting of the targets. They still remain. No, definitely no resetting. This has this has been suggested in light of the challenges uh, being faced in the soft plastics recycling sector. The reset that is being called for by APCO, though, is a different type of reset. The targets stay as they are. They um, are there to drive change. They are there to be a catalyst for um, infrastructure development and for people to basically get on with it. But what APCO is calling for is a concerted collaborative effort across the entire packaging value chain and a stronger co-regulatory framework which strikes a balance between industry-led action and effective government regulation. So when we spoke to Chris on the podcast, he did a deep dive analysis on the key findings of the report and recommended certain actions to follow. What are the key findings, Lindy? So there were four and they were quite detailed in the report. I'll summarize them in layman's language. While the 2025 targets are driving a transformation in packaging in Australia, the number one finding, of course, was that they are not on track to be met by 2025. The second finding that we need a longer-term vision to guide action. So we have to look beyond 2025 um, realistically and have a clear vision 
with a clear strategy. Collaboration is needed. That's the third finding across the entire packaging system. And this comes up time and again in every single conversation, at every single forum that we attend, at every single conference. We cannot do this without cross-industry collaboration. And then strong and coordinated interventions are needed on essential packaging material streams. So um, I think the hinting there is at some kind of regulatory or government-mandated intervention. Indeed, what are the obstacles to effective action by industry? APCO believes that there are several significant obstacles to effective action. These include the lack of an effective regulatory stick to support the case for action, the lack of consistency in government policy that impacts packaging decisions, the lack of an overarching strategy and integrated framework for Australian recycling, and a competitive disadvantage for early movers from non-participants. So there are a lot of free riders in the system, Wayne. Now, despite positive action by some, the report identifies the need for further improvement on packaging design and the expansion of business-to-business -business recycling as key opportunities. So um, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there. There's a lot of packaging out there that is in the industrial arena, like stretch wrap, for instance, or cardboard, for instance. There's a lot of cardboard that's ending up in landfill that really could easily be recycled. It is time for many businesses to do more to reduce the impact of their packaging and to improve its recoverability. That's the view of Chris Foley. And he says this is a once-in-a-25-year opportunity to help strengthen compliance, to protect public interest, and ensure accountability across the packaging system while supporting innovation, competition, and investment. So the call really is for a whole of packaging systems approach. And that means across the whole value chain. That means talking to the recycling industry as well as the packaging converting industry. It's covering all the barriers from woe to go when it comes to developing a circular economy. The task at hand is much bigger than any one business. Collaboration and cooperation across the packaging industry government, waste and recycling sectors is needed to drive change. That's a very clear message from Chris Foley. Now, the full report is available on our website and also via the APCO website. And as I mentioned, the podcast, which was a really in-depth conversation with Chris, does shed a lot of light too. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Uh, Lindy, can we bring up the much-flogged horse of Red Cycle? Uh, what's the latest on this? Yes, while I certainly don't want to keep raking this up, um, I do feel compelled to keep listeners up to date, Wayne. As you know, you've been writing some of the reports as well covering this story. The National Soft Plastics Recycling Venture Red Cycle is reported to have collapsed with debts in excess of $5 million. The end was brought about mainly by its inability to pay for the increasing amount of storage it was using and to source onshore soft plastic recycling operations as its collections soared while its recycling options diminished to virtually zero. So as the month has unfolded, so it too it has been revealed that more storage sites of soft plastics have been uncovered. And it's my understanding that these stockpiles will all fall within the ambit of the soft plastics task force run by the supermarkets who have been given a period of time by the ACCC and environmental authorities to come up with a solution for this waste. It's been a tough story, Lindy, but there is good news, isn't there, on the soft plastics recycling scene? Yes, Wayne, there is a scheme um, that is showing tremendous promise, and that's the National Plastics Recycling Scheme, or the NPRS, which is run by the Australian Food and Grocery Council, AFGC, and funded by federal government. This is currently under trial in three states. It's based on curbside collection of soft plastics, which then gets 
processed by through advanced chemical recycling processes. And new research out from the AFGC, which we've reported on recently, is that consumers involved in the trial have indicated that the NPRS model of putting soft plastics into a specially supplied bag and placing it in the household recycling bin is the overwhelming favorite compared to a um, in-store collection or take-back-to-store collection model. Now, the AFGC and the NPRS, to bolster its team, has just added some expertise to its ranks with the latest appointment of circular economy leader Justin Frank, joining consulting lead Helen Millicer to help drive the initiative. AFGC CEO Tanya Baden has said that as they transition from the trial stages to the pilot phase on the NPRS, Justin's two decades of experience in circular economy, combined with Helen's extensive expertise will really um, help boost this program and take it to the next stage. Justin is charged with helping the organization build awareness of the scheme outside of the AFGC members and to generate support for this game-changing initiative. That's encouraging, Lindy. And I see too that on the rigid plastic side of things, Victoria has just announced the start date for its container deposit scheme. Yes, so apart from announcing the start date, Wayne, they've also announced who's going to be running the show. The state government has appointed Vizzy, Tomra Cleanaway and Return It as network operators and Vic Return as the scheme operator. Now, Vic Return is made up of a group of parties and those include big brands like Lion and Asahi. CDS Vic is part of the Victorian government's $515 million investment to overhaul the state's waste and recycling sector, including a new standardized four-stream waste and recycling system. So they also have a, a fourth bin, and that's for glass, which is coming into effect. And this is to help meet a target of diverting 80% of all material from landfill by 2030. The scheme will allow the return of used drink cans, bottles and cartons, that's paperboard cartons like Tetra Packs, for a 10 cent refund. The government said it will reduce Victoria's litter by up to 50%, create new economic opportunities, generate 645 jobs and turn drink containers into new recycled products. So that's their nice positive spin on it, but it is all true. Great to see. And Lindy, what about paper-based packaging? What's the big news there? Well, this month, um, April the 10th, to be precise, has seen the landing of the paper-based wrappers for Mars Wrigley confectionery uh, landing on shelf. Mars Wrigley's world-first paper-based flexible wrappers uh, for Mars Bar, Snickers, and Milky Way chocolates. We've spoken about those before. We've spoken about how fantastic it is that Australia is being used as a test market effectively for a global group. Now, the company announced this month that it is boosting its investment in the manufacturing operations at its Ballarat factory. This is where the products were developed, uh, that paper-based packaging product, um, and where the actual products are packaged. This investment of to the tune of $28.8 million is building on more than $67 million invested since 2021 in that factory. So really good news for local manufacturing. It's going to bolster Mars Wrigley's local innovation capabilities as it continues to modernize its manufacturing operations through key equipment upgrades. And the company says this modernization will pave the way for further development of sustainable packaging solutions. So hopefully more to come on the packaging front there. In total, the company has invested about $2.5 million into this paper-based packaging project so far. And this includes the investment into its machinery and its manufacturing technology. 
as well as the material substrate. Um, and that has allowed it to create a solution that retains the product quality and freshness, i.e. with the proper barrier properties, while still being able to be recycled by curbside recycling. And that's quite an important point. Milky Way, as a term I actually haven't heard for years. I used to love those as a kid. Well, I'm you can go to back to one. eating them now in the oh, nostalgic listen. paper wrapper. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to have to buy one on the auspices of uh, intelligent research. Exactly um, right. Which converter is actually making the paper wrapper? Well, this new paper wrapper is made uh, by Amcor, and it's locally made as well, which is really great news. It comes from Amcor's Amfiber Performance Paper Portfolio. It comprises a, an FSE certified paper, as you would expect. It also has a thin plastic barrier and sealants and printing inks as normal. Now, Amcor says the locally manufactured paper is dynamic enough to be printed with either flexographic or gravure technology, and it is finished with a heat or cold seal adhesive. So that's talking your printing language, Wayne. The plastic barrier layer notwithstanding, this packaging can still be recycled, as I mentioned, via curbside, and this is validated by APCO's PREP tool. According to Amcor, recycling tests show that the material surpasses an 80% recovered fiber threshold, which makes it recyclable in most global paper streams as well. So Amcor would be looking to roll this out in other markets. Amcor and Mars Wrigley are reportedly working on the second iteration of this packaging, which would aim to remove the plastic barrier layer um, and come up with an alternative. So watch this space. Well, that sounds like a win-win, doesn't it? Uh, the barrier works. The barrier is not plastic. It can be recycled. Fantastic. Amcor, of course, world's biggest packaging company. Um, it's got another announcement, another major announcement in this area, I believe. Yes, I think they will be coming thick and fast. As you mentioned, Amcor is, after all, the biggest converter globally. It is a a mega packaging company, and it really does have its fingers in every material pie. And that's to ensure that it has a full range of sustainable solutions to meet its own goals, but also to meet the demands of the different applications and the different customers that it services. Now, this announcement relates to plastics. It has placed its first commercial order of certified circular polymers, leveraging ExxonMobil's Extend technology for advanced recycling for use in packaging in the Australian and New Zealand market. This order will make Amcor the first flexible packaging company to offer certified circular plastics in this market. Um, and it supports the partial displacement of fossil-based feedstock and meets growing consumer demand for plastic circularity. We spoke to Richard Smith, the sustainability director at Amcor Flexibles Asia Pacific, and he said, we are moving to a circular economy in Australia and New Zealand, working with our partners like Exxon to enable virgin plastic reduction. And this is the first step in our journey to a vibrant local circular economy. We spoke recently at the AIP conference. Uh, Grant and I were there with the podcast a little pop-up studio. Richard was there. He spoke to us then again. He's very excited about the advances that Amcor is making towards a circular economy in Australia. Well, a company like Amcor certainly needs to be leading the field there. Um, innovation keeps coming through, Lindy, and it's a great sign for the packaging industry. Uh, now you're about to head off to Interpac. What are your expectations there? Oh, well... I can barely contain my excitement, Wayne. Um, my bags are almost packed. Uh, after a six-year hiatus, can you imagine what uh, the show floor will be like? It will be so vibrant. Everybody delighted to be back. Um, in this period of time, we will have had so much innovation going on. We'll see 
extreme advances on the show floor, not only in machinery, automation, robotics, digitization, also on the material side with sustainable materials and um, initiatives to drive the circular economy forward. So I'm really looking forward to it. I will report from the show floor and bring my insights to next month's wrap. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks, Wayne, for joining me in wrapping up the big news stories for April in Australia's packaging industry. For a comprehensive overview of all these stories and also, by the way, before I forget, of all the winners that we had saw announced earlier this month um, on the PEDA Awards, they actually happened at the tail end of March, but we didn't include them in the last podcast podcast. They are available on our website too, the PETA 2023 winners. And while I'm at Interpac, I'm going to be seeing last year's PETA winners receiving their World Star Awards as well. So that's also exciting. So yes, folks, please head to our website, packagingnews.com.au. You'll find it all there and more. Well, thank you, Wayne. Thanks, Lindy. And of course, thanks to our audience for joining us today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you heard, you can like us on iTunes as this helps others discover our show. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative discussion, but until then, have a great day. The PKN Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of PKN Packaging News, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of PKN Packaging News, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact us via the website or send an email to editor at packagingnews.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's packaging industry at packagingnews.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.